0: Google, huh? <laughs> I wasn't expecting that word to come right. out of
1: your mouth. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Welcome to Lawyers Behaving Badly. I am Jennifer Judge.
1: And I'm Karen Delaney. How are you, friend? I haven't seen you since we were just on a Webex with each other three minutes exactly. ago.
0: It was like, I haven't seen you in minutes. Yeah. I'm doing well. Um, I feel like we need to leave with, or sorry, lead with the most important thing going on right now, which is your office is very different since I last recorded with you and It's hard to look at, it's hard to look at you. And instead I'm staring at the paint color on your walls because I'm so jealous.
1: That's true. I finally painted my office something other than the white and black stripes that were left when this was the previous homeowner's baby room. And I'm obsessed with this color. It's kind of like a dark bluish green teal color. And -hmm. it's, it's amazing. I'm so obsessed with this room and I never want to leave. Yeah,
0: I'm, I'm so mad at you too, because you know that like, it's in our plans to renovate my office. And like, this is what the color I would have done. I'm like, no, I'm just gonna look like a cop eater. <laughs> you should do this color because it's, <laughs> it's incredible. It's so pretty. I'm so jealous. Um, My office, uh, our house was built in 1990, I think. And my office is the standard like wood paneled quote unquote office that all the dude bros had in their 1990 suburban homes and so I told my husband I was like I feel like I'm working in a coffin like (laughs) all day I'm just in this wood box and so one day we are going to get it renovated but I just haven't wanted to deal with that yet so we haven't yet but it's going to be that color
1: slap some paint up there it'll look great exactly
0: Mm -hmm. I can't wait so yeah so how are you otherwise
1: Well, I have to tell everybody, you inspired me because we talked about how I had never gone to the movies by myself. And you mentioned you were like, do it. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. So I did. I took myself to see the new Barbie movie on opening day at like 940 in the morning. I put it on my Outlook calendar like it was a meeting Mm -hmm. and went and watched. And it was probably me and 10 other people. There were a couple of... Women who were there clearly like together and then Mm -hmm. some other women, too, who are just solo in the audience. And it was absolutely fantastic, both from a movie perspective and an experience perspective. And I highly recommend it. And I also need you to go see the Barbie movie immediately so that we can talk about it.
0: I can't wait to see it. My my husband said he wants to go see it too. So we just need a chance and maybe we'll do it when we're out of town next week. Um, Maybe we'll sneak off and go see it. So I I can't wait to see it. I am so ready. I feel like I'm the only person that hasn't seen it yet in all of our (laughs) friend groups. So I'm so jealous.
1: Yeah, it was really wonderful. And I won't give away anything that you won't learn in the first five Mm -hmm. minutes of the movie. But the plot is essentially that Barbie, you know, Barbie was created because at the time she was created, girls only had baby dolls to play with. And so Mm -hmm. the only thing they could really do or imagine with their baby dolls was caring for them and being a mother to them. And so Barbie was created to give girls something else to imagine. So in the movie, Barbie lives in Barbie land or Barbie world Mm -hmm. and believes that essentially they solved inequality and everything (laughs) in the real world is perfect and great. (laughs) (laughs) And she ends up in the real world and discovers that that is not, in fact, the case. And I thought it was a really on point commentary on what it is like to move through the world as a woman. Mm -hmm. It really got me in the feels. I cried a couple of times. Yeah. got, Got a little teary eyed there. And I also... Can't wait just to see it again because I felt like there was so much to take in and so many things I kind of want to marinate on, but it was it was fantastic.
0: So not only you have said that, but I think you know that like we listened to the radio station The Ticket here in Mm -hmm. Dallas, and one morning this week, one of the hosts on the morning show said he went and saw it by himself this weekend and ended up like sobbing in the movie mm-hmm. theater from the movie and was like, you know, didn't expect to be sobbing in the Barbie movie, but me neither will, friend. Yeah. It will absolutely get you. And so like, I want to go and cry at a movie and I just cannot wait to see it because he said the same thing. Like, especially if you're a parent or, you know, you have these feelings and you have family and all this stuff. He's like, it just hits you in the feels. Absolutely. So I can't wait to see this movie.
1: Yeah. So what else is going on with you now that I've gone solo to a movie and I'm a changed person because of it and your inspiration? (laughs) Oh, I forgot. We should mention that you are now listening to a podcast with the most distinguished Twitterer. Um, Well, a hair flip. Airflip. in Dallas. <laughs> JJ was selected by D Magazine, which is a local publication as having the best Twitter feed in Dallas for 2023. And I am biased, but I do agree with the assessment.
0: <laughs> Thank you. And I I've told you this. Like I was literally it came to my work email too, like the email that told me this. I don't know how they got my email address. Um, but it came to my work email now. So I was just like sitting at my desk working and I get this email from Tim Rogers, who's the editor of D Magazine. And it's like, congrats on winning best in Big Dallas. And I was like, "What?" or best in Big D. And I was like, what? <laughs> and it took me like three times reading through to realize like what was going on with that, because I it was just so random and shocking and funny and silly And I, it just made my day. It's really silly. Like, you know, like we, we don't put any thought into our Twitter feeds. Like it's really just screaming out into the void.
1: Kind of the opposite for me. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Just doing a free range, free stream sort of thing. And
0: there are people out there who, you know, curate what they tweet and are looking at follower counts and paying attention to that because that's something that they want to do. And that's how they use Twitter. And more power to him, but that is not me. And I am, I literally, it's just a stream of consciousness. And so what you see is what you get when it comes to my Twitter feed. So I was pretty shocked. Um, and of course, my husband like rolled his eyes and laughed at how ridiculous that was. And then he was like, I thought you were leaving Twitter. So that's just another time yeah. that you're lying about leaving Twitter. And I was like, "I, ha- my fans need me there now. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so the crowds are clamoring for me. So yes, that was a very silly a very silly and fun accomplishment, um, that I received today, but otherwise I'm good. Like we leave, um, tomorrow to go to Colorado for a week. So we're getting the fuck out of Texas. So I'm really excited about that. Like this summer is just oppressive and I need to get out. Um, and we don't really have many plans. I'm going to have to work some, um, but we, Yeah, we booked a Jeep tour one day, and the rest of the time we're going to like hot springs, and we're gonna go hike, and we're gonna go to Telluride one day. So Mm -hmm. I'm really excited to just hang out and not have any set plans.
1: That'll be so nice. Mm -hmm.
0: And just exist in a place that's not 110 degrees.
1: We also are headed out to Colorado soon, although we will not be near where you are this year. Mm -hmm. Last year our vacations overlapped a little bit, and we met up in Boulder, which was really (laughs) fun. But We are not going to be out where you are, but we are going to be somewhere that is cooler, hopefully. And Mm I just, I really need it. I really got to get out of this heat. So that'll be really
0: exciting. Yeah. So yeah, that's all that's going on here. It's all the fun. You know, we're recording now in the afternoon. And so my husband naturally, um, we leave tomorrow morning and my husband naturally is at the office and has a work dinner tonight. So he'll be home late and then we'll pack late and pack the car. We're driving. So we'll pack the car late. And I was trying... I was trying to get my kids packed today while I was working. And that, that just led to yelling from mm-hmm. um, everybody's behalf. So I stopped that and figured we'd try that again later.
1: Uh, <laughs> <We> <laughs> so can do that you know, after hours with a glass of wine and see how it goes.
0: Yeah, exactly. It, it was too hard to try and squeeze it in between calls. Um, you know, my kid, I told them to pack pants and they're like, I didn't pack pants, but I packed extra shorts. I was like, well, the shorts don't solve the problem that the pants right. would have.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Think so think you're it's, missing a fundamental part of the equation here.
0: Exactly. Um, so yeah, so that's all that's going on here. I'm just, I'm just ready to get the hell out of this state for a little bit.
1: Well, can we flip to Hot topics? Because I've been so excited because I know what your hot topic is, yes. yet I know nothing about it. And there has been so much legal news lately. I've felt like it's drinking from a, higher, a fire hose. And I haven't been able to keep up with any of it, including the latest goings on with FTX. And I know where Sam Bankman-Fried and his cronies are involved. There's got to be some ridiculous stuff.
0: I texted you because I was laughing so hard writing this script. Um, and this isn't. This is somewhat of an update of F, on XT, FTX because. I was as I looked through all the other stories that have come out in the past since we've done an update, our last update on FTX. I was like, we could do a whole other episode again on this, so mm-hmm. maybe we will. Um, but we're going back to our podcast roots, so it's an update on FTX and our favorite non-reader, Sam Bankman-Fried. Uh, our he is our the- favorite fuck bookser, fuck bookser. <laughs> so we have had quite a few developments on the FTX front recently. The company itself, um, just this month, sued SBF and his other polycule members to recoup more than the $1 billion that the company believes in misappropriated before FTX went bankrupt. So they sued Sam Bankman-Fried, and then the other defendants were the usual names, Caroline Ellison, Gary Wang, and Nishad Singh. And FTX alleges that the missing $1 billion was spent on luxury condos, political contributions, speculative investments, and SBF's other, quote, pet projects. Um, so the complaint refers to this charitable giving that was, quote, frequently misguided and sometimes dystopian. <laughs> and this harkens back to when we talked in our very, literally our very first episodes about that effective altruism mm-hmm. that Sam, Bankman, Sam Bankman-Fried believed in. So they, quote, emails and messages where he was speaking with other people at FTX, he had planned to purchase the sovereign nation of Nauru. I had never, N-A-U-R-U. I did not know this was a sovereign nation. Um, But they planned to purchase that nation and construct a bunker that would be used for, quote, some event where 50% to 99% of the people die so we can ensure that the most effective altruists survive.
1: Did they also explicitly tie it to global warming? Because I thought they did, and... I, I, it was like, hey, guys, do you think there's maybe a strategic problem with putting your bunker
0: <laughs> on the globe on,
1: on an island? <laughs> do you think rising sea levels might be an issue for you? <laughs> the the complaint doesn't
0: mention that they said that he also wanted it to, quote, develop sensible regulation around human genetic enhancement. And then in the messages, SBF noted, quote, probably there are other things useful to do with a sovereign country, too. Oh, okay. <laughs> the point of filing this lawsuit for FTX was that when the company was in bankruptcy, you can undo certain transactions or avoid mm-hmm. them and award that money back to the company. And you know, legally, if the transfer was made in the two years prior to the company filing bankruptcy, the trustee can avoid it and basically get that money back if those transfers were made with the intent to defraud the company and were made for less than the value of the transfer Mm -hmm. itself. So in the lawsuit, FTX's lawyers allege that SBF awarded himself more than $725 million in equity from FTX and an entity called West Realm Shires without the company receiving any value in exchange for that equity that he awarded himself. Of course. It also alleges that SBF and Gary Wang... Uh, took $546 million to buy shares of Robinhood, which, you know, has been an excellent investment now. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I looked and around the time that they purchased the shares, it was trading at around $40 a share. And now it's down to like $12 to $9 a share on any given day. So great investment. Um, And then Caroline Ellison used $29 million um, from FTX to pay herself bonuses, you know, as you do.
1: As one does. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm.
0: The complaint goes through the plea deals and the affidavits that were offered by Wang and Singh as part of their plea deals, outlining how Wang admitted that he coded special privileges onto the FTX platform so that they could spend FTX money through Alameda for their personal benefit. So basically, beginning in 2019 and continuing until the company filed for bankruptcy, SBF ensured that FTX.com customer deposits were funneled straight into Alameda bank accounts, without telling those customers that their money was being spent or even that there was an arrangement between FTX and Alameda.
1: Right. That seems very bad.
0: It seems very bad. Um, This was something new that I had learned. In 2021, SBF signed this payment agent agreement uh, between Alameda and FTX and backdated it two years to 2019. Whoops. He and his in-house counsel had outside counsel prepare this agreement simply so they could provide it to an external auditor who they had retained to prepare the companies for a potential IPO. Yeah. Which is great. When you are prepping for an IPO, the best thing you can do is like double down on your fraud. Right. (laughs) (laughs) The in-house counsel, um, who was not named in the complaint, stated that the agreement needed to say that, quote, FTX gets first dibs on Alameda's cash which was an attempt to basically create a paper trail covering this lack of limitations on Alameda's ability to spend FTX's customers' money. Mm -hmm. So the law firm drafts it up and they draft this agreement that says Alameda provided cash management to services to FTX and those those services were a loan to Alameda. But that same in-house counsel gets that draft agreement and then creates a new version without the language about the loan to Alameda. So basically- Alameda provides cash management services to FTX for free and they get to take FTX's cash. Yeah, exactly. We learned that days before all of this came crashing down, Caroline Ellison messaged SBF and said, she quote, had an increasing dread of this day that was weighing on her for a long time. And now it's actually happening and it feels great to get it over with one way or another. Oh, yikes. Which is, Horrible when you think about it, because getting it over with one way or another was wiping out millions of people's money mm-hmm. that they had you know, been hiding for that entire time.
1: I mean, it kind of continues their cavalier approach to yes. any responsibility mm-hmm. that they might have and treating it kind of like a joke.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. We discovered even more the interconnected nature of Alameda and FTX and another SBF entity named North Dimension. And how all of those entities were funding FTX customer withdrawals because there wasn't enough money in FTX to meet the customer withdrawal demands. So at any given point in time, FTX could not meet the demands of its customers if they ever wanted to withdraw cash Mm -hmm. from their accounts with them. So there's this in-house counsel who begins asking questions um, about this. He's hired and within three months he's fired. And He starts asking these questions and he's basically like, hey, um, what's the interconnected nature of all of these entities? And by the way, you know, we have Alameda handling customer funds and it doesn't have a license for a money services business. So we probably shouldn't be doing that.
1: Problem?
0: Problem? <laughs> no, not a problem. So he was summarily fired. <laughs>
1: sure. That's that's what you do when somebody asks uh, questions that are harmless to your business. Yeah, exactly. Because you're doing you everything them. on the up and up. You fire them. <laughs>
0: There is so much gold in this complaint. Like I said, we could have a whole new episode on this. We learned that SBF boasted about how Alameda was, quote, hilariously beyond any threshold of any auditor being able to even get partially through an audit Mm -hmm. and was bragging about this. And then his quote was, Alameda is unauditable. I don't mean this in the sense of a major accounting firm will have reservations about auditing it. I auditing it. I mean this in the sense of we are only able to ballpark what its balances are, let alone something like a comprehensive transaction history. We sometimes find 50 million of assets lying around that we lost track of such as life
1: See, this is how you run a Popsicle stand, not yeah, like a legitimate business <laughs> handling billions and of dollars in cash and crypto assets. I mean, again, like I have run a law firm, you are
0: currently running a law firm. And just the way like running my law firm where it's just me and I'm not even handling customer funds, like gives me the hives on how they were accounting for things. Right. We finally learned that how SBF's family is likely paying for his criminal defense representation in January, 2022 SBF took $10 million from FTX and transferred it to his personal account and then transferred that to his father's personal account. And oh, then, wow. mm-hmm, and as soon as that happened, his father took 7 million of that and transferred it to various bank and personal accounts at Morgan Stanley and TD Ameritrade. And he left about 3 million with FTX. That $3 million is now worth a lot less because crypto is worth a lot less. SBF referred to it as a loan, but no one at the company has been able to find any loan documentation or any communication about it.
1: Well, but also that's absurd on its face because remember yes. that both of his parents are law professors at mm-hmm. Stanford. Mm-hmm. So unless we come from generational wealth, why do we think that two law professors at Stanford would ever be able to pay back a $10 million loan.
0: Mm-hmm. And that's where the complaint alleges that the father is using that money to fund SBF's criminal defense cases. Yikes. Yeah. So that was also included in the um, transfers that they would like avoided. So mm-hmm. the complaint itself is very long and very detailed. And I highly recommend that you read it. Uh, as I was reading it though, like, you go through and the way that it's structured, you know, they have to account for every transfer and say, this transfer should be avoided. This transfer should be avoided. And it is so complex and so well done and how they have to describe each and every transfer. Um, It was Sullivan Cromwell's law firm, and they just did a very good job. And all I could think was how tedious this must have been to tie everything together and tie every transfer to this evidence, to this timing So the amount of work that it must have taken to get to that point where they could write that complaint is mind boggling. So anyway, it's worth it. The amount of fraud that's still out there that we're still uncovering is absolutely insane. And I do think that one day I'm just gonna have to buckle up and do another FTX episode because it's still so ridiculous.
1: I think we should. We need an Mm -hmm. update. Yeah.
0: I couldn't. It was either that or Ken Paxton updates, and I really just couldn't do another Ken Paxton. <laughs> like, I'm so sick of him. I'm so sick of that asshole. Especially
1: because there's, there's news every single day about it. And yes. I'm sure I'm not the only one, but as soon as I come across an article, I don't even read it. I just send it to you. Like, yes. here, this is your problem now. <laughs> yeah. You get to know about all
0: this. And I read a bunch of them yesterday, and I was like, these would be good. I can't. Like, I need a break yeah. from this guy. So yeah. he'll come back. He'll be back, I'm sure, because the r- stories are ridiculous we'll talk about them again but yeah so that is our ftx update and i cannot wait for our main story because i know some of it but not all of it
1: you have heard this story before i was going to call this weekend at larry's that's what we called it when we presented it when Mm -hmm. i presented it at ut but i have a confession to make which is that's a reference to the 1989 movie weekend at bernie's hmm. And I have never actually seen all of Weekend at Bernie's. I just knew it involved uh, for for those who are not up to date on their late 80s mm-hmm. cinema. I don't think it, I've ever seen it either. We just kind of know, though. Right. Yeah, I know. It's it like
0: where you propping up a dead guy.
1: <laughs> right. It's it's <laughs> the plot generally is two young guys go out to their boss's house in the Hamptons and they discover him there dead. And they're afraid that he'll get pinned for his death. And he has a whole bunch of people, I guess, coming to the house for the weekend. So they spend the whole weekend trying to convince everybody that Bernie, their boss, is still alive until they can kind of like scoot out without anybody knowing Mm -hmm. and they won't get pinned for the death. So Weekend at Larry's is an allusion to that. But then I thought as I was preparing for this episode and because I've never seen Weekend at Bernie's, I thought I should wiki that because, you know, movies from the late 80s. About a couple of guys, like they probably just don't stand up very well. Mm-hmm. And uh, turns out there definitely is a scene that involves corpse fucking in the movie. Oh, God. Where
0: <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't expecting that word to come right. out of
1: your mouth. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so we're gonna.
0: So we we alluded to corpse fucking in front of all those appellate lawyers and judges.
1: Well, you know, it was published such a long time ago. Hopefully, there are not any weekend at Bernie's aficionados in the audience (laughs) who were so up on their weekend at Bernie's lore that they immediately thought of that particular scene. So we're gonna call this something else, TBD.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Wow, that wasn't I wasn't expecting that. (laughs)
1: <laughs> Surprise! <laughs> this story starts with an estate sale gone wrong in 2012. A woman named Mindy sold personal items to an estate liquidator for about $6,900. And I just want to emphasize that. Please please. Please put that number in your brain, (laughs) $6,900. That is the amount in dispute here. The estate liquidator paid Mindy with two checks. They both bounced. Mindy hired Larry Lawyer. Larry,
0: back to our roots.
1: (laughs) I love it. We're getting back to our roots. She (laughs) hired Larry to get her money back. It is completely unclear how they came to be in contact. They never met in person According to Larry's own briefing, he never saw her. He never got to speak meaningfully directly with her. But somehow they get hooked up as lawyer and client. Mm Mindy reportedly had multiple sclerosis and her health declined. Communication with Larry Lawyer eventually stops altogether. In November 2016, Larry hadn't heard from Mindy in about two years. But at this point, he's like, oh, shit, I think the statute of limitations is about to run on her claims. Mm -hmm. On November 17th, 2016, Larry filed a lawsuit on Mindy's behalf in Texas state district court against this estate liquidator. He had not spoken with Mindy. (laughs) He later said he did so, quote, thinking that she is hopefully still alive somewhere, albeit in a potentially very compromised state of health. Mindy's lawsuit states plaintiff Mindy would diplomatically settle this case through her legal counsel for fourteen thousand three hundred thirty eight dollars if no further wrangling is necessary to finally conclude this unfortunate matter
0: is that in the complaint? yes, that's a quote that's a quote that's not that's not good drafting I just throw that out there
1: <laughs> this guy's a very interesting writer and we're yes. going to go on a journey today okay. <laughs> Do you think Mindy's original petition gave any indication that Larry hadn't been in contact with her for nearly two years? No, I bet it didn't. It sure didn't. (laughs) In early 2017, the estate liquidators lawyer just sent a cashier's check to Larry for $6,893. That's the full amount. That's (laughs) Mm -hmm. the total of both checks that bounced. So he's like, here's a cashier's check. This is the full amount of what she was supposed to get paid Then, in a subsequent conversation, he tells Larry, Hey, look, in addition to that check, the estate liquidator is willing to pay an additional $500 for loss of use and we'll pay you $2,000 for your attorney's fees. Mm -hmm. This seems like problem solved, right? Take the money and run.
0: Take the money and run. Absolutely.
1: Larry rejected that offer and he sent an email to the estate liquidator's counsel, which I have to read you almost. (laughs) And this is not in full. This is, I mean, this email is very lengthy. I humbly and respectfully submit. (laughs) we are adequately prepared to fully surmount your defenses. I do realize, however, that sometimes clients would prefer to take their chances. That is fine, so long as they don't try to blame their attorneys later for the added consequences that result from such client recklessness. From one professional to another, it might be worth getting relevant client assurances in writing as one never knows how and when it can be useful later. Some clients prefer to blame anyone but themselves. As I have tried to make clear since our initially very cordial conversations... (laughs) Whenever I put a settlement demand in a lawsuit, it's the lowest it can possibly be. I have never, all caps, gone south of a settlement made, a settlement demand made in a lawsuit or refrained from pursuing and executing on a judgment if merely anything less is offered within the time frame allowed by the if-no-further-legal-wrangling-is-necessary wording. That fact enables me to credibly let others know that I've never accepted less for a client under similar circumstances in other cases so there is consequently no pressure on opponents to try and bring the settlement demand down for themselves either. In fact, I always offer to withdraw the pending case or counterclaims if opponents can find a single exception anywhere in my 20 plus years of litigating. Nobody has ever taken me up on the latter offer, and it's probably because no such case exists. Oh my god. <laughs> Plaintiff Mindy's settlement demand cannot come down to a lower level. The facts of her case actually seem to warrant a significantly higher compensation. He, he goes on, he goes on.
0: <laughs> he hit every adverb in the vocabulary. <laughs> every possible yeah. adverb is in that little snippet you read.
1: But at the end of this, he's basically like, look, pay us $14,000 and this can go away in 24 hours. Mm-hmm. But we have a problem, which is Larry has not heard from his client in two years. Do we think that he has had any conversations whatsoever with her regarding settlement negotiations?
0: Oh, no. A man that writes like that definitely has not talked to his client about settlement negotiations. No. No.
1: No. <laughs> And I gave this away by having the weekend at Bernie's discussion up front. Mm -hmm. But do you want to tell our listeners why Larry has not heard from Mindy? Mindy is not
0: alive anymore.
1: (laughs) About a month after the liquidator made the settlement offer, Larry manages to make contact with Mindy's two adult sons. And he learns that Mindy died in March 2015. 20 months! before he purportedly filed a lawsuit on her behalf. (laughs) Oops. Thoughts and comments. (laughs) Whoopsies. Oops. (laughs) There's another problem. Mindy's case was set for trial in April 2017. Larry just does not show up. (laughs) I don't know why, but the court dismisses the case for want of prosecution.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Which honestly... This seems like a great off-ramp.
0: He should have just not looked in his rearview mirror and driven off. And he got off scot-free for a real real big fuck-up.
1: Yeah, like, you (laughs) filed a lawsuit on behalf of a dead client without authorization. You missed your trial setting. The court has dismissed it. And I'm not saying I would do this. But if I filed a lawsuit for somebody who turned out to be dead and then didn't show up for trial and the court dismissed it, I definitely would just disappear into the night.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. You wouldn't hear from myas again. Like, I mean, No. You got away with it, go. like, Just run.
1: Is that what Larry does? Does he go gently into that good night?
0: Absolutely. He takes the road less traveled. And he, <laughs> he, he forges definitely. on. Definitely. <laughs>
1: He filed a verified motion to reinstate the case about a month later. Verified as in under oath. I was, yeah, I was just about to
0: say verified means that someone had to swear under oath (laughs) to get filed.
1: When he files this verified motion to reinstate Mindy's case, JJ, does he tell the court, opposing counsel, or literally anyone affiliated with the case that Mindy died two years ago?
0: Oh, no, absolutely not. Nope. In for a penny, out for a pound.
1: Like, we are full steam ahead. He sure doesn't. This is just not relevant information for anybody. The court reinstates the case and sets the trial for June. In the meantime, the estate liquidators counsel sent written discovery to Mindy Mm -hmm. in March 2017. And this written discovery requires the party, in this case, Mindy, to answer questions in writing under oath. And you actually Mm -hmm. have to take your little paper and you have to go before a notary public and have them notarize it. There were also requests for production. And this stuff is all extremely straightforward. The liquidator wants any contract that Mindy had with the Mm -hmm. liquidator, a list of items that she sold, any pictures she might have of the items.
0: Like literally the most reasonable straightforward stuff that you yes. would have in a lawsuit like this
1: okay jj we have a dead client we've got somebody who wants discovery <laughs> from them what, what are we gonna do here
0: we gotta kick that can down the road as far as we possibly can
1: <laughs> yeah larry never objected to the discovery but he also just never responded to it either <laughs> so
0: <laughs> which isn't shocking from a guy who skipped a trial date so
1: Yeah, I mean, it all kind of adds up. We're not surprised, but it's also not best practice. The estate liquidators counsel tries a bunch of times to find out when he might expect responses to the discovery. Eventually, he files a motion for sanctions in June 2017, about a month before the trial was set, to try and get these discovery responses. Mm -hmm. Also, at the same time, the estate liquidators lawyer is trying to get a date set to depose Mindy. Yeah,
0: naturally. (laughs)
1: This obviously presents a problem for Larry. (laughs) It also feels like this could have been a good off-ramp. Like, Mm -hmm. hey, so Mm -hmm. I'm sorry I didn't respond to your discovery. We will not be available for deposition. Yes. Because my client is no longer alive.
0: She has shuffled off this mortal
1: coil. (laughs) Instead... Larry told the estate liquidators council that while he was available for a weekend deposition, he would have to check with Mindy because he was not sure about her availability.
0: And do you know any seances?
1: Well, that's the thing is it's sort of doubly misleading, (laughs) right? Because it's like, on the one hand, she's not alive to be available. On the other hand, you do very much know what her availability is. It is permanently (laughs) unavailable. (laughs) The court set a hearing on the liquidators motion for sanctions. Larry's got an idea to avoid sanctions. He Mm -hmm. has been emailing with Mindy's two adult sons. Five days before the hearing on the motion for sanctions, he emails her sons and they had asked Larry about what he thought they could get for loss of use damages for the property in the two Mm -hmm. checks. The checks, I will remind you once again, totaled. Mm $6,800. This is I think something like a three page email. And Larry's response is, I might simply be too ignorant on this front at the present time, but I tend to recall the applicability of legal doctrines, even many years after learning about them. And frankly, no hurdles or obstacles are coming to mind. Thus, may I have your permission to answer your question today by submitting what I think she should be allowed to recover for loss of use damages. I would not be surprised if the jury awards her an excess of $63,000. <laughs> the amount in dispute is $6,900-ish. Meanwhile, U.S. Supreme Court justice tends to put a cap on punitive damages at around nine times the underlying amount recovered. So he, he goes on... <laughs>
0: Punitive damages over a breach of contract.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah, And these aren't punitive damages. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're trying to compensate somebody for a loss of use. Yeah. So he says loss of use remedies aren't punitives, but perhaps, all caps, a Texas appeals court <clears throat> would extrapolate from that jurisprudential notion for the purposes of viewing any award that I can hopefully win for you guys for loss of use recovery. This guy's so fucking detailed. More importantly, Larry <laughs> writes them in their e- in this email, the estate liquidator, his lawyer, and the court presumably don't know yet that Mindy has passed away. <laughs> but if we could get everything nevertheless taken care of beforehand so that I could submit stuff to opposing counsel by the early part of this week, then that would help me try and avoid the liquidator winning a monetary sanction this Thursday. And his idea appears to be I'm going to sign a retainer agreement with you guys. We're Mm -hmm. just going to slot you into Mindy's shoes as her heirs. You'll answer the written discovery. And then voila, no problem. We're all footloose and fancy free.
0: Like opposing counsel won't have any problem with that whatsoever.
1: Right. Everybody's (laughs) just going to be fine. Yeah. Larry signs a retainer agreement with Mindy's sons shortly after this, which states that it quote, renews the contract that Larry lawyer had with Mindy. It is also, this becomes important later, a contingency fee agreement. He states that he will collect his attorney's fees from the estate liquidator. He is not charging (laughs) them hourly. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Two days before the sanctions hearing, Larry sent an email to the court administrator. I'm going to send that to you. Just drop that in the chat there.
0: I hope this finds you and your team well during this 4th of July Eve period. Oh, fuck me. Come on. <laughs> Anyhow, regarding Thursday's 9 a.m. hearing, I have some mundane procedural questions, please. Might you, <laughs> might you have a guesstimate for when the hearing will conclude, please? Apparently, the only bus out of where we are leaves at 1030 a.m. I've not yet purchased a ticket because I am unsure if I can make the departure time with the hearing at 9 a.m. Any predictions, any guidance at all would be much appreciated, please. Meanwhile, is there a desired protocol (laughs) for suggestion of death of a plaintiff? (laughs) Plaintiff Mindy, who suffered from MS and is reportedly no longer with us. (laughs) Although her sons want to fill in for her. I've never had a client pass away before. (laughs) And I should add like, That is its own separate little paragraph down at the end. So it's (laughs)
1: just like, oh, (laughs) P.S. BTW. My client is extremely dead. What do you suggest I do about that? That email isn't over. He continues... I had hoped to reach agreements with opposing counsel on the above mentioned, but he tends not to take my phone calls or talk for more than a couple of minutes when he rarely does before (laughs) hanging up on me unpredictably. And it's like, yeah, Larry, I would hang up on you too, guy. Larry says he also doesn't answer my emails through which I tried to resolve this discovery matter for which he instead called for a sanctions hearing. (laughs) Basically, He wants interrogatories sworn and notarized by the plaintiff, but she is reportedly deceased, whether opposing counsel knows it or not. (laughs) Well,
0: yeah, clerk, let's keep that a secret from the other side. (laughs) (laughs) Be cool, man.
1: Don't be like all uncool. (laughs) Until I can properly add her son as a substitute, I can't comply with this fairly recent discovery demand. It's sad when a judge has to sort (laughs) through such seemingly simple matters that opposing counsel and I ought to be able to resolve, but at least opposing counsel has agreed to a trial postponement, which I have proposed. I'll be on the road for at least 15 hours round trip and including bus layovers for this seemingly unnecessary discovery dispute sanctions hearing that's being pursued against me and the now deceased plaintiff. It's sad considering how I'd worked so hard to cost contain... uh, to cost contain so that this case could hopefully settle if only i could simply beam myself up there using star trek's teletransportation technology oh my god and he's god. got um a little <laughs> emoji that's typed out it's like colon dash zero so it's like the open face emoji oh yeah mm-hmm. not quite sure what we're going for there <laughs> It looks like the court administrator immediately forwarded that email to the estate liquidators council without course, comment.
0: She's just of like, of course <laughs> they did. Yo. Like this, this guy is trying to hide shit from his opposing counsel by telling the court coordinator, like, of course, they're going to well, shoot that over to you immediately.
1: And asking her for legal advice. Like, yes. What do I do about my dead <laughs> client? And it made me laugh so hard because when we presented this at the CLE, there was an appellate judge who presented before us. Mm-hmm. Or was she, tri- I don't remember. She was trial or a but she, she was a pellet judge. Yeah. Okay, and she had various pointers for people coming into her court, and one of them was stop asking my court administrators for legal advice. They yes. can't give it to you. <laughs> That's your job. Yeah, your lawyers. I, I was like, I have a great example of that. Okay, so now everybody knows Mindy has departed us. Yes. This is two days before the sanctions hearing this was the first that the estate liquidator had ever heard that Mindy might not be alive. I can't like
0: imagine your opposing counsel on this. And you're like, just you're thinking this is just some guy who's terrible at providing discovery. And you probably think something is up like, because he hasn't given you a damn thing, but also like all of these emails are a fucking beating. So, you know, he's weird and he's, you know, maybe it's just related to that. And then you get that email from the court coordinator Like, my head was explode.
1: (laughs) I would dissociate straight out of my body. Yeah,
0: like, there's
1: no way. (laughs) The estate liquidator naturally asks Larry to show that he even had authority to file the lawsuit in the first place. Yes. Larry never did that. He never gives the estate liquidator any letters testamentary showing Mm -hmm. that Mindy's sons had any authority to continue the suit. He also never provided any evidence that a probate proceeding had been filed related to Mindy's mm-hmm. estate. I mean, you have to have something that you shows... You have to have something
0: that shows, like, you have more than my dead client told me before she died to file this lawsuit.
1: Right. And it's not mm-hmm. even clear that she did. He just, yeah. you know, was like, oh, shit, the statute of limitations about to run. I haven't talked to her. I better just get this on file to cover Call my off own and ass. file this. Yep. <laughs> He's like, I know I can't blow the statute of limitations, so I'm going to make sure that doesn't happen. It's like, well, that Larry, would be,
0: that would be the worst thing I could do.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, breaks. Finally, the estate liquidator gets fed up because Larry has not given him any sort of indication that he actually has authority to continue this lawsuit. So at the beginning of 2017, the estate liquidator files a motion to show authority. Mm -hmm. And without getting too technical, this is something that's permitted by our rules of civil Mm -hmm. procedure. And one party can use it to force the other party's lawyer to prove that they are authorized to participate in the lawsuit on that party's behalf. And if that party, it's a serious thing. If that party, that attorney fails to show their authority the trial court must, it's not must, it's not Mm -hmm. discretionary, must refuse to permit the attorney to appear in the matter and must strike the pleadings if no Mm -hmm. person who is authorized appears.
0: So basically that means they have to dismiss the case because you're striking your complaint.
1: Right. Mm -hmm. If you can't show authority, your lawsuit is Mm -hmm. going to get dismissed. As a result of this motion, the trial court issued an order to show cause requiring that Larry come, he better bring his ass to court and he has to show at the time of filing the lawsuit, he had authority from Mindy to file the suit. Mindy is now deceased and that a probate proceeding of some type has been filed so that any interest could be pursued Mm -hmm. by her heirs. Larry's response is pretty brief. He's like, look, I emailed the court her death certificate. There hadn't been any probate proceedings and none are necessary. Thank you. (laughs)
0: We'll just skip that entire authority part.
1: Yeah, like, don't worry about it, it's fine. It's totally fine.
0: Take my word for it.
1: The show cause hearing was in mid-September 2017. Larry asks one of Mindy's sons to pick him up at the Greyhound bus station and drive him to the hearing, which is about a two-hour drive, by the way.
0: (laughs) I was about to say, this is Texas, so I mean, like, you're driving a while to get between cities and get to get from one city to another and that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, and apparently Mindy's son was like, okay, that's fine. And Larry told Mindy's son that they could discuss the case during the drive. Mm -hmm. Like, let's talk about strategy, whatever. Yeah. According to an affidavit that the son later provided to the Texas Commission for Lawyer Discipline, quote, however, shortly after I picked him up from the bus station, he got out of the car, vomited, passed out, and slept the entire way.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Which is just what you want for your lawyer going into a show cause hearing.
1: (laughs) That's great. Mm Mm-hmm. The hearing didn't go much better. Mindy's son said later that Larry had given him the impression that this was a routine hearing. Oh, no. So Mindy's son was super surprised to see that the trial judge appeared to be really, really mad at Larry (laughs) for not telling everyone that Mindy died before the lawsuit was even filed. And Mindy's son was really taken aback because Larry hadn't said anything about the Mm -hmm. fact that their mother's death could even be a potential problem in the lawsuit. He never told them that the trial court could strike the pleadings, he just shows up and discovers like he's in the middle of a shitstorm. In the disciplinary proceedings related to all of this, the state bar got an affidavit from Larry's opposing counsel, the estate oh liquidators God. lawyer, who said that at this hearing, Larry was like, well, no, there hasn't been any probate case filed, but I don't want to file one because I've never done one of those before. And I'm trying to save money here. <laughs> that is
0: not a valid response. Yes, <laughs>
1: And it's also like, why would you think you're going to be filing the probate case anyway? Like, yes, that's, an estate's lawyer should be doing that. Yes, like that is not the place to start. You know, if yes. you've been spending <laughs> your whole career doing litigation, what, we'll just we'll just do a
0: probate. We'll wing it. What's the worst? That Whatever, could it's fine.
1: The court didn't decide that day what to do, but instead gave the parties additional time to submit briefing on whether one of Mindy's sons could, in fact, appear mm-hmm. as the plaintiff. So after this hearing, Mindy's sons are like, you know, seems like maybe this guy's not on the up and up. Yeah. <laughs> so they ask for a copy of their file. And they're basically like thinking to themselves, Well, hey, there might be more going on here than Larry's been telling us. I mean, mm-hmm. we had no idea what we were walking into at this hearing. So we like, we need to look at these files for ourselves. Did Larry turn over the files?
0: Oh no, absolutely not. <laughs>
1: Larry did not give Mindy's sons a copy of their file. Instead, he began asking them to sign affidavits. (laughs) And the point of these affidavits apparently was to try and convince the trial court, everything is cool. Mm -hmm. Mindy's sons can just pop into Mindy's shoes. Nobody needs to dismiss anything here. Let's all be cool. I don't know if, if this is an accurate assessment or not. Take it for what it is. But... Larry seemed to believe that it was very important to tell the court, look, she didn't have any debt, so no probate's necessary. Mm -hmm. That's one of the things that he put in these affidavits. And Mindy's sons weren't comfortable signing the affidavits because they said Mindy very much died with some debt. She had (laughs) Medicaid debt when she died. Mm -hmm. And they told Larry, like, look, we can't sign these. The affidavits are just wrong.
0: Because they're under oath.
1: (laughs) Yeah, they are under oath. Yeah, Yeah. they'd be
0: a lie. (laughs)
1: Uh, so don't, don't do that. Yeah. (laughs) Never sign, never sign an affidavit with something that's not correct in it. So they all get on the phone to talk over this affidavits issue. You're Larry. Your clients have concerns about their affidavits. What are we doing here?
0: I mean, I'm like, listen, guys, these don't matter. Just sign them. You know, I obviously, if I'm Larry, if I'm me, I'm, I'm running away screaming. But <laughs> uh, if I'm Larry, I'm like, don't worry, just sign it. No one's going to read it. It's not important. You sh- go ahead and sign it. It's fine.
1: Larry's approach was a little different. Um, he told Mindy's sons that Mindy had been a burden to him and the state because she died of <laughs> Medicaid debt. <laughs> and... He accused the brothers of impeding the trial and refusing to help. Shut <laughs> <up>. <laughs> so I, I, si- sign your goddamn affidavit.
0: <laughs> you and your deadbeat dead mom <laughs> <laughs> ought to be ashamed of herself dying. It's a burden. <laughs> That's my tax dollars that she died owing. Us. Basically,
1: <laughs> basically, Heart- and he's been he's been pursuing this case without getting paid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> after this phone call this doesn't even get him fired by the way like <laughs> which blows my mind doesn't even get him fired after that phone call one of Mindy's sons sent Larry an email and the gist of that email was look we're not going to sign these affidavits uh, as is mm-hmm. they're incorrect and by the way you were super rude on our call and we didn't really yeah. appreciate you suggesting our mom was <laughs> a burden they also asked for a copy of the file again, and I'm going to need you to read his response. And I will say he responded to their email in less than 45 minutes.
0: (laughs) I can't wait. You took advantage of my misplaced trust by, among other things, providing me with an insincerely signed retainer agreement, including, but not limited to, where you wrote that you could speak for Mindy's creditors. My detrimental reliance is substantial and costly to me. I have been defrauded. I told you I would release all claims that I have merely for 60 hours of billable time, even as I have already spent more than twice that, plus what I will need to be spending in billable time for enforcing the retainer agreement.
1: (laughs) Okay, stop. (laughs) So we have a contingency (laughs) fee agreement, and he's like, hey, if you pay me for 60 hours of time, I'll go away. (laughs) Okay,
0: okay. Once again, I have received no proposed amended affidavits from you. He's treating them like they're obstinate opposing counsel.
1: Well, yeah. And by the way, why are you asking your clients to draft their affidavits? They're not lawyers.
0: To say the least, I will not let breaches of the retainer agreement or its misleading nature go unanswered. I will attempt to timely file an unnecessarily hobbled response to the estate liquidators motion and try to mitigate my damages that you inflicted upon me as best I can. I will not readily volunteer to anyone that the clients I slaved away to serve to the best of my abilities without pay to this date, mind you, and while using my own funds have betrayed me repeatedly and knowingly. He was a contingency fee. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and by the way. The estate liquidator already offered to settle for the full amount of the checks, 2500 on top of that.
0: Like, you don't get paid until you collect. That's the entire point of the contingent. And he could have collected! <laughs> <laughs> okay, sorry, I interrupted. It keeps going. I cannot recall when I last witnessed such a display of solipsistic callousness by two privileged young men such as yourselves, Nothing I have ever written is to be construed as a waiver on my part of my rights. False accusations by you are not welcome. I suggest at this point that any future correspondence be focused on logistics and my damages mitigation. I fail to see where you are in any position to further mistreat me or demand repeated compliance with your requests and inquiries, especially when you enlisted my trust and detrimental reliance with deceptiveness." Kindly refrain from making unwarranted accusations and repeated demands that have already been addressed unless you can rationally and respectfully show that they have been inadequately addressed.
1: (laughs) I know you just saw the next sentence. (laughs) Read it. Read it. (laughs)
0: Slavery is not legal in the USA, and neither is undue harassment as distinguished from contract enforcement. To be continued, dot, dot, dot. Respectfully submitted, Larry.
1: (laughs) Thoughts?
0: I mean, it's like he took a page from my book of how to communicate with your clients. (laughs) Definitely threaten them and tell them they're, they're engaging in slavery.
1: I was just to the suggestion that somehow what they're doing is akin to slavery, what in the bleached baboon translucent <laughs> trash bag nonsense is this? Oh my god. He's <laughs> like,
0: how dare you hold me to this contingency fee retainer agreement and not pay me despite me agreeing that I would not be paid until we collect. <laughs>
1: And also, you haven't unfucked your affidavits. Yes. That's your job.
0: Exactly. You go write that affidavit, you privileged assholes.
1: (laughs) Here's what's crazy. They still don't fire him. Oh, my God. (laughs) They still don't fire him. Later that month, without the affidavits, (laughs) he files a brief that he calls... Plaintiff's counsels brief supporting proceeding to trial without an otherwise unnecessary estate administration. (laughs) Even though Mindy's sons have told him that Mindy died with Medicaid debt, he says again in this filing, look, probate proceedings aren't necessary because she has no outstanding debt. And he... Filed, he amends her petition. So he essentially files an updated lawsuit to say mm-hmm. no probate proceedings are necessary. So we're just skating along on vibes alone at this point. Yeah,
0: yeah we, we, we really are.
1: <laughs> finally, finally, on a Friday in late October 2017, one of Mindy's sons emails Larry and copies the other son, subject line letter of termination. And they stated that they wanted to immediately terminate their representation agreement with Larry. Quote, after my witness of your courtroom performance, after repeated dismissals of conversations for potential settlement options, after repeated disregard for written requests for our case file, and after the deterioration of your communications with us, this matter has become one that we no longer wish to pursue with you. If you could be so kind, please send our file to their address. Mm -hmm. Larry emailed back on Monday morning. Guess when he was like back in the office or whatever, not checking yeah. email over the weekend. Good morning. I received the email below over the weekend. Has someone's email account been hacked? <laughs> it's literally new phone. Who dis? Yeah. <laughs> Three days later, the trial court struck the. Someone's the a case. grumpy bear. <laughs> <laughs> Can we try that again with kinder words? Yes. <laughs> Three days after Mindy's sons fire him, the trial court struck the pleadings in the case. Of course, yes. In February 2018, the trial court dismisses the whole thing.
0: Mm hmm.
1: Mindy's sons file a grievance against Larry. He actually does sue them. He naturally for yes. $22,500 in unpaid attorney's fees.
0: Hell yeah. Yes, he should. Of course. <laughs>
1: They responded by filing a lawsuit against him for legal malpractice. Of course. (laughs) And in July 2018, the state bar filed a disciplinary petition against him in state court for a smorgasbord of ethical violations. (laughs) Like
0: all the ethical violations.
1: (laughs) You know how this ends for Larry. Do you want to tell our listeners?
0: You told me, and I'm hoping I remember it correctly because I black out when we present, but I'm like 99% sure he was disbarred, right? That's right. Yeah.
1: But here's what I didn't get into with the CLE. The state bar files a disciplinary petition against Larry in July 2018. Mm -hmm. He was not disbarred until February 2023. Almost five years. Yeah,
0: because we... I noticed that because we had talked about how he had recently been disbarred, and mm-hmm. the math wasn't mathin' for me, and I figured you would address that.
1: And we just didn't have time yeah. in our in our presentation at UT. But five years to disbar some guy who's running around filing things on behalf ab- of dead clients? I was about
0: to say, and it was he wasn't suspended during that time, Mm-mm. right? He was he Mm-mm. was practicing. He could okay, yeah. Well, yeah, that's important. Let's. That guy definitely should still be representing clients,
1: which is also a, uh, an interesting approach by the state bar to not yeah. attempt suspension in the interim. Yes. But that's fine. So why did it take five years?
0: Is it Kim I'm putting Paxton?
1: you. No. I well, he does kind of make a cameo, honestly. But I was <laughs> I wasn't going to cover it. But uh, <laughs> I'm going to put you on the spot here and okay. ask you to tell our listeners what. Uh, the Texas Citizens Participation Act is our anti-slap statute. Oh
0: my, shut up. Is that what...
1: (laughs) (laughs) I knew you would love this because you know a lot about this stuff. And I was like, this is going to kill her. Oh my God. So
0: So, yes, the Texas Citizens Participation Act is Texas's anti-slap statute. And what those do is there have been there has been a history of where public figures have filed defamation lawsuits against people criticizing them, basically, to silence their speech, because even if you're innocent in a defamation lawsuit, you have to get a lawyer. It's expensive. It's obviously terrifying to be sued. And so you have to go through that entire defense. So people use these defamation lawsuits offensively as a weapon against people who are legitimately criticizing them. These anti slap statutes, like the one in Texas, address that and basically say, if you file a defamation lawsuit against someone, that person can immediately file a motion to dismiss. And in that motion to dismiss under the Texas Citizens Participation Act, the plaintiff has to basically show a lot of proof about why they would succeed on the merits on this claim. It immediately stays discovery so that you don't incur all of these costs as a result of all the discovery. And then the court, if it awards you the motion to dismiss and dismisses the lawsuit, is then required to award you attorney's fees that you incurred defending yourself in this lawsuit. So it's a weapon and many states have them basically in any lawsuit that could conceivably reach to defamation because its intended purpose is to make it more difficult to file defamation lawsuits.
1: Where, yeah, where you're using them offensively to try exactly. and stifle speech that you mm-hmm. don't like. And mm-hmm. quite frankly, I mean, it protects people like you and me who are doing yes. a podcast
0: like this. Exactly. And it's if you're not engaged in, I mean, opinion is protected speech, mm-hmm. you know, legitimate speech. It's geared toward public participation, which is speaking out on topics of public interest. You know, before this, you could have politicians who would sue their constituents if they criticized the politician and the politician would use that to shut up legitimate criticism of what they were doing. So that's intended to protect people like that and like us.
1: So Barry, Larry is basically like, look, You trying to disbar me infringes on my right to free speech.
0: Of course he does.
1: And he kind of obliquely references statements he's made to Mindy's sons. But what he really Mm -hmm. focuses on is that Larry, in fact, has been an outspoken critic of the state bar for a very long time. He has a whole website. He has a special email address. He's testified in the state legislature about it. And in particular, here in Texas, every I think it's every 15 years, the legislature is supposed to do a sunset review of various state agencies Mm -hmm. and essentially reauthorize them for another term. So in the last sunset review of the state bar, Larry was very vocal about what a just flaming trash heap. He thinks the concept (laughs) of the state bar is. And his argument was that the office of chief disciplinary counsel filed the grievance against him to distract him or otherwise silence his criticisms of the state bar.
0: Of course. Yes.
1: (laughs) Now, In Texas, as the person who is about to be disciplined, you can either go before a disciplinary committee or you can force the state bar to try the case in court. And that's what Larry did. So the trial court held a hearing on his motion to dismiss on anti-slap grounds. Mm -hmm. He kind of vaguely alluded to free speech rights, but it doesn't sound like there was much there there because Mm -hmm. there wasn't. Yeah. The trial court unsurprisingly denied his motion to dismiss he appealed it it went up to the court of appeals in houston it took until january 2020 for the houston court of appeals to issue its opinion where it was like Mm -hmm. no this doesn't yes no that's not that's not what the statute was intended to do larry asks the texas supreme court to review the decision and it took until march 2022 for the texas supreme court to deny his petition for Mm -hmm. review And even though the Texas Supreme Court said no thanks in March 2022, it wasn't until September that year that for whatever reason, the case gets assigned to another judge in Houston and it's set for trial in early 2023. And that is what kicks things into Mm -hmm. high gear on the trial Mm -hmm. front. And no surprise, it looks like it was just a total whip for the state bar. Like They asked Larry for dates for his deposition. And he was like, well, sure, I'll do a deposition on written questions in the attorney's lounge at the Harris County Courthouse. Oh, my God. And the state bar like, no, we're yeah. not going to do written questions. You need to actually show up. And by the way, a public lounge is not an appropriate place for us to take a <laughs> deposition. The case went to trial in front of a jury in February, 2023. And what I would have given to be a fly on the wall in that courtroom. It was a three and a half day trial.
0: I'm assuming he represented himself.
1: Oh, how did you guess that? (laughs) I'm just, just a wild guess. (laughs) Shot in the dark. You are correct. The jury made various factual findings related to ethical violations the court made additional findings of fact, which included this one. Larry C. Lawyer's conduct during the course of the trial was grossly unprofessional and evidenced Ooh. a lack of respect for the profession.
0: Ooh. Which Just is a test- great thing to happen in your disembarkment proceeding, Right. <laughs> it
1: feels like the opposite. Yeah. Of what we want to happen. Uh, the the judge also found that his testimony rationalizing his actions was not credible, and his conduct was aggravated because of his refusal to acknowledge any wrongdoing on his part. <laughs> the trial court awarded the state bar twenty one thousand dollars and disbarred Larry. Larry is not done. Of course not. <laughs> Goonies never say die.
0: I was about to say he just like you said he will not go gently into that good night. <laughs> oh no. Yeah.
1: He is listed as disbarred on the Texas State Bar website, but he has appealed the trial court's disbarment decision. I don't believe that appeal has been dismissed yet. Mm-hmm. He also sued the Texas Commission for Lawyer Discipline and the trial court judge and the lawyer for the Texas State Bar personally. Oh my god! Oh my god. In the Southern District of Texas, that lawsuit was dismissed about three months after he. Filed I was about it. to say
0: that's literally possibly the only time I support qualified immunity.
1: and even then we're not sure
0: i was about to say and even then maybe not
1: (laughs) yeah maybe not so that is it larry has been disbarred i anticipate his appeal is going to go nowhere Mm -hmm. and don't file things on behalf of clients that are dead or that you haven't communicated with start there start Start there start with a phone call or an email to a client
0: yeah. Don't tell your clients that they're making you a slave either.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Just and like uh, lots
0: of pointers all over the place for yeah. this lesson.
1: Don't tell them that their mom was a burden to them. Maybe don't do that. Oh my God. Yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> wow. That was, you were right. There was a lot more there than we even touched on in the yeah. UTCLE. So that was a, that one was wild. <laughs>
1: truly i hope that this is the only story we do involving a client who turns out to be dead but you know i can't really
0: limit ourselves that
1: (laughs) well i said that about our shitty check episode too and i happen to know that that's not going to be the case so (laughs) put a a pin (laughs) in that one
0: (laughs) it was just well that leads us to you know you and i are both going out of town next week so Mm -hmm. you know this is going to come out we're not going to record i think a week um so while we're out of town so I don't know what my next episode will be. That's TBD. I have a list of things that I just haven't dug into. So we will have to see what the next, what our next topics are when our next episodes come out.
1: Well, perfect. You can find us bad lawyers pod on all social media platforms. Mm -hmm. Some, some social media platforms is probably more accurate. And you can email us badlawyerpod at gmail.com. Merch link is in the episode description. Thanks guys!